Thank you so much. And are Raj and Ali here with me? I am. I'm here too. All right. Our trio is ready. So first I want to just reach out to all of those on the call and we love you, our brothers and our sisters, and we wholeheartedly welcome you for this teleclass. And Jordana, of course, your beautiful prayers, they just touched our soul. They filled me very deeply, and I'm so grateful. Thank you. And so that I don't forget later, a shout-out to Pat and Craig, our beautiful tech support team. We thank you for uh, checking our sound, recording this call, among many other things. And we thank you, MK, for your beautiful coordination and your emails and the flow for these teleclasses. So it takes a, a mountain, a village to have these beautiful events, and we're just so appreciative of everyone's time and efforts with them. Thank you. So I'd like to begin with prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, help us this evening to feel your presence in all of the places within us that need healing, that need comfort and reassurance. As we are reminded that no matter what we are going through, we are held and loved in our journey. In the joyous spaces and even in the darkest moments of terror, the light can shine and a new day will dawn May we be gentle with ourselves and let you help us heal. Amen. So the theme for tonight is the presence and power lies within our very being. Boy, don't we wish we could feel Breathe in and know that statement all the time, like every waking moment. But if we did, we wouldn't have to be in this human experience. So the goal is more and more of this, more and more of our awareness of the presence, more and more of our being able to be in these peaceful states. But it's not instead of, it's as we go through our process of healing and our learning and our growth. So Ron Roth, in his book, Reclaim Your Spiritual Power, said, we all have locked deep within us a spiritual power that holds the key to our healing. And yet I'm amazed and how often I forget this and 
how many times I need to tap in and remember. But again, the fact that we've been gifted this human experience, we get to have lots of practice. The anniversary of Ron's passing into the light was June 1st in 2009. And I just wanted to share briefly that Mary Swanson, who's our wonderful CLM friend, who voluntarily lists the prayer requests online that are posted in honor and remembrance of Ron, she shared a quote of his from Holy Spirit, the boundless energy of God. And in this, Ron says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon us to set us free so that we can set others free. God never gives us his spirit for ourselves alone. So I know for me, this is a great reminder to love, serve, and remember. So my piece to share with you tonight is from childhood. As a little girl growing up in Connecticut, We moved here when I was seven, and this move was traumatic for me. It brought on many fears and terror, depression. I felt lonely and lost in the mix a lot of the time. But, and I also felt joy swimming in my pool, playing board games with my neighbor. I was brought up in the Catholic faith. But it wasn't a really positive experience in that particular church. It was very fire and brimstone. So it was very serious, and it only added to my fears, along with the fact that I didn't know God. So I didn't have anyone to turn to. My parents couldn't help me with support because they had their own childhood stuff, and they would have had to look at that. So they they just couldn't help me. I did find a really special place, a place that nurtured my soul. It was a kind of refuge. So I'd like to just share these couple sentences, and then I'm going to share a little bit about that place with you. These couple sentences are from my book. They represent some of the feelings I had in this special little area in the woodlands. As a child, I dreamt a thousand dreams of twinkling stars and full moonbeams. The fairies, how they danced with grace and played with me in this secret place. Just a couple sentences. So this secret place was what I call the woodlands. It was behind my friend's house. There were tall pine trees. These trees would sway with the summer breezes. That's when we would go and we would play. It was a wooded area and the cool earth on my legs and my hands I could feel as I sat in unexplainable joy. My friend and I chose our areas and I made a woodland home by molding dirt into rooms. I made a kitchen with table and chairs. I made a family room with a couch and a coffee table, a 
bedroom with beds, a bathroom, <laughs> and I molded the sink and the toilet and the bathtub. And then I molded a seat for me. So it was a little platform of dirt, and I went up a little bit high in the back, so it was comfortable for me to sit there. And as I sat, I felt the presence of light of God upon me. This was something that I had never felt in this way before. I felt my light, a love that I had never known. I also felt the presence of fairies, like I had given them a fun home, kind of like a place to hang out with me. I was so safe, accepted, so alive. It was a respite, so to speak, a time of pure peace and grace. I would say it was possibly the greatest gift of my childhood to be able to give me those moments where I could feel my light, where I could feel the presence of the divine holding me and loving me. And through the years, my connection and my feeling of God with me was fleeting. Then at 42... I was guided to CLM, and through Ron Roth's teachings, they helped me reconnect deeply to the Holy Spirit in this life. So the void was finally filling, and I had begun to feel full. So that's the, the first piece that I wanted to share this evening, and now I'm going to pose a question to Raj and to Allie. And my question is first to Raj. Can you share with us a time in your life when things felt very dark and at some point something came about, a person, a circumstance, an experience, which revealed light or grace in your space? This is such a deep question, Shari. I, I really thought about it, and I came up with, a, with an answer because, you know, in my past, there was a lot of darkness. You know, I can talk about addiction in the family. I can talk about racism, which I will, and also violence and so many other dark areas, which I numbed out. But the way I want to address your question is with three questions back, which is really questions to contemplate when we go into those dark places. And I wish I would have known these back then because they might have helped a little bit. But the first question is, who would you be without your story? The reason why I ask this question is so often we're wrapped up in the past. The programs are running, the memories are running, the pictures are running, generated by the logical mind as it's trying to understand what to do about the feelings and emotions that are coming up that we're trying to avoid. But the main thing is that by asking the question, who would you be without the story, your mind typically is not able to answer the question. And the deeper you go with a question like this, 
the more level of peace you start to reach because you start to realize the divinity within. The second question is really a pretty powerful question because I know a number of us have had trauma in the past. No matter what the trauma, and this, again, I've heard some horrible stories, the question is really, how has that trauma shaped you in a positive way? How has it been the fuel for you to be able to become the person that you are, the seeker that you are, the individual that is sharing their light with others today on the call, today in your reality, in your world? It's a very deep question. It's not one to just gloss aside. It's one to sit with. And the third question is really, how do you share this with others? How do you share the learning that you've had through your traumas, your experiences with others? And I I want to share an example because just recently I had a a friend of mine, African-American friend, who was going through a pretty hard time with some of her memories. And I spoke to her and she turned around to me and she literally shouted at me. She said, what do you know about racism? You haven't got a clue what it's like. And... I turned to her and I said, I've never spoken to you about it. That's why you haven't got a clue about my experiences. And I sat with her and I shared some of the stories that I had. This created an avenue for her to be able to listen to me. And she actually apologized for her statement. But the main thing she then said, which was extremely vulnerable, and I'm going to share it with you, is... She said, she asked me from that vulnerable state, so you're not afraid of white people? And I said, no. In that moment, I became a counterexample to her story, her generalization that because certain people of a certain race had hurt her, that now she could open to something bigger and potentially there was a change that could take place. You can't force change on anybody but you can be the counterexample to the stories that they've built in their minds. So a lot said there, Shari, but that's my answer for you in a very roundabout way. Well, I really appreciate your perspective and your way of formulating your questions and your explanations. Thank you so much, Raj. And Allie, can you share a time with us in your life when things felt dark? Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. So like many of us, I had a very complicated childhood. A lot of pieces were really dark. And I remember at a very young age learning certain things that were happening in my family system around my parents getting divorced and the betrayal that happened on both ends and just things that really you shouldn't pick up on as, you know, a child. And around the same time, This is when I was around like 10 years old. I had just started to get involved with music at my middle school. And my music teacher asked me to perform Memory from Cats. Like this was my first solo performance. I mean, like aside from performing, you know, dragging my sister into performances at home. But, and I'll never forget when I got up on stage and I sang my little heart out, and the light that I felt, and the freedom, and I didn't know what it was, 
back then, but it was really me tapping into this reservoir of power and the true essence of my being. And it definitely, it imprinted me on my spirit. And I could, in that moment, and I still remember, I remember exactly what I was wearing. My mom had made me a dress. And, but in that moment of me singing and just being like, I forgot everything. I don't remember singing to anybody, but I could forget everything at home. I felt like I said, just the light and the presence and tapping into my true essence, which I've actually just started getting tapping back into working with a music therapist. And just these moments that come in, it's like when I belt a song and it was the same thing back then, I'm just, I feel all of this energy coming into my body and it's pretty incredible but it's this visceral experience. So I know it's like I'm getting out of the way and that something else is coming into me, which is amazing, which really, Sherry, if you're okay, if I go into sharing around my story. (laughs) So again, the topic tonight is the presence and power lies within our very being. So that's a big, (laughs) that's a big topic. And I truly feel like God has been preparing me for this call for around a year and a half. I've been through the washing machine, the dryer, and then some, as others have shared, when Padre asked you to share on a teleservice. But I'd first like to share on the presence piece. So back in January of 2022, I had the worst panic attack of my life. I didn't know what was going on. I thought I was going absolutely crazy, but little did I know that it was the beginning of my awakening and catalyst to my intimacy with God. And I should have prefaced this with, I am a very, I'm very stubborn, and it took this awakening for me to finally listen to God and my guides, what Dana likes to call the two-by-four method, (laughs) and I'll never forget, (laughs) I'll never forget (laughs) lying in bed completely frozen until 11 a.m., anxiety of 50 out of 10, and asking God, really, like, will I get through this? Not will I get out of bed, but will I live through this? And instantly, I felt this warmth and pressure on my heart. And not really knowing what that was, that's not something that I had experienced before. And I went into my eighth, which we do as a tool through FSD, to ask the question again, and being in that terror of just, you know, what's going on and asking all these questions and everything. And again, I felt the same thing in my heart and this tone came in. And again, I'd never experienced any, anything like this. And I never understood when people would say God is within me. Like anytime somebody would say that at CLM, I'm like, you're speaking a foreign language. I just don't get it. And now I get it. <laughs> well, I get a piece of it. It's still really growing within me, and I'm creating new neural pathways of trusting God of what I even thought was possible. It is a miracle to have that visceral experience because when the anxiety is so intense and feels literally like a tornado, God's presence taps me on the heart and brings me back without fail over and over again. That presence has helped me through absolutely everything this year and a half, Growing a candle company while having crippling anxiety is no easy feat. And so in my world, 
I then tap into the power through this presence. I've had so many amazing role models to show me the way and angels, everybody reaching out. I could, I have a whole list (laughs) and even you two on the call. And I really have to thank Christy and Francois Lavanier who have given me life-saving tools. And one of the ways I tap into my power and shift anxiety and depression is through breath work and the ice bath. And there have been moments where I can't even get off the couch or out of my bed, and I tap into the power deep inside, like what Sherry was talking about, and, and I have to go into the ice bath. It's like this going back and forth. It's like, am I, you know, we, and Dana talks about all the time, we have this choice. And so either I'm going to choose to stay here or I'm going to choose to get up, even though I'm so uncomfortable, and get into the ice bath, like today. This talk, major anxiety, but I was like, okay, I'm going to get into the ice bath. I'm going to call on Holy Spirit, and there I did it. And I have a hard time sharing this because I truly hate tooting my own horn, but I will. So (laughs) from stillness practice, (laughs) beating my process box, and if you know, you know, singing or dancing it out and moving the anxiety, you know, it's what we do behind closed doors. That's the catalyst to get with our get in touch with our divine power and to take these steps to change our life on I mean what Sherry said that just rang so true of what Ron Roth said in the book of just we have the knowledge of like our for our own healing and and getting closer to God and our true selves so Raj and Sherry I'd love to ask you both the question and I'm going to start with Sherry Jerry, can you share a time where you really had to call on your divine power to get you through something? Only one time? <laughs> <laughs> All the time. Well, it's a short service. Goodness. Well, I guess I'm definitely going to choose the time that I spoke about a little bit at a CLM retreat last summer. So that was the one where I was, everything was like falling apart in my life. This was two years ago. My mom was, had fallen. She had broken ribs. She had a lung collapse. And my programming from childhood was to try to save people so that I could feel safe or something bad would happen. So I followed my programming and I dove in and I tried to save my mother and my father. And in the process, I was losing myself, not just losing my spiritual connection with God, but I was literally losing my life. And Dana always says we need to let, we need to reach out and call upon others to help us, as you mentioned, Christy, as well. Christy and Francois, who have helped you, Allie. Well, I've mentioned before Erit Schaefer, who I began working with two years ago very regularly and have continued through these past two years. And without Erit, I absolutely would not be here today, not only because I would not, not just the physical piece, but the emotional piece, the, the whole package deal. 
she has guided me, supported me, cared about me, uh, and and I just never had this growing up. I never had it before. So I listened. I listened and I acted upon this. And we all have this opportunity that when something happens in our life, when we need help, we have to be willing to reach out. But the choice is ours. Like Ron Roth used to say, I give you blessings or curses. I give you life and death. The, the choice is yours. Choose life. Okay? But we can't do it alone. And forever I felt like I was all alone and I had to do it alone. I needed to be brought to such a weakened state to realize that I could ask for help. So I listened and Holy Spirit helped me. He read helped me. I have others that helped me. I took the process nine-week course which helped me a huge big step to go deeper with my childhood pieces. I worked with a process therapist for a year, even before I took the process. I've had the support from Dana, from Eric, from Padre, from Bobby, so many. And I am incredibly grateful. I feel incredibly blessed. I'm strong. I'm well. I'm continuing my healing journey. And there's been a lot of humor with it because I love humor and I've learned to laugh at myself. There's at Good Earth in Mill Valley, there's this person, there's this stick figure female up on the ceiling. If you ever go there, you got to check it out because I leave my body a lot. When I get scared, I flight. And I saw this one day and I thought, oh, my God, that's me. But I don't have a parachute. (laughs) I need God to help me get down, you know. So I can laugh at that now. I used to feel so bad. I can't stay in my body. I can't. I have to laugh now. I have to make fun of me. I have to make fun of my process. I have to enjoy it, even the pain. And it's never too late. Even at 61, you know, it's never too late to heal Everything is always right on time, and everything, the healing and everything is a process. So thank you so much for that awesome question, Allie. Thank you so much. Just to reflect back to you, I feel like so many of us feel like we're the alone piece. And even today, I was like really in it, and I got a text from a fellow student, Laura, and it was the most beautiful message. And I was just like, oh, there's another angel. Like, we're just so blessed in this community to have, this yeah. is like my true soul family and to have those people and just at that exact moment, you're like, oh, that's a little miracle. So thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. And Raj, I'm going to ask you the same question. If there, when there was a time for you that you really had to pull up those bootstraps <laughs> and uh, call on your divine power to get you through. Yeah, yeah, like Sherry and yourself, there's so many examples, right? And the one I'm going to go with is is just a recent one where in preparation for the this call, which was all a, much like you, what you said, Ali, the washing machine and the dryer and the ironing. That's what it felt like. <laughs> You're going through the entire process and then being folded and kept in a cupboard somewhere. But the purpose of 
of my experience was really profound and led me to talk about what I'm going to talk about after this. But I couldn't sleep. I stopped literally sleeping about a month ago. It started getting progressively worse. I was becoming a vegetable during the day. And I kept on thinking about this one story, which I'll highlight later. And I couldn't understand why am I thinking about the story? And it's, it's to do with a time I had to, or I felt I had to defend somebody physically. And it was really getting to the state where I was getting two hours, one hour of sleep a night. And I was just surrendering. Lack of sleep is nothing new to me as it isn't for many of us on this call, especially you FSD people. You know what I'm talking about. So as I was going into this state, though, it was just progressively, I don't know what to do. And it literally felt like I was being worn down so that I would be able to look at something. But I, was, I couldn't understand what it was. And much like you two, I don't like asking for help. In fact, I am probably the worst. You've got to have a Pat Hansen in your life because Pat, if she doesn't hear from me for more than a week, she will threaten me with text messages in which she'll say, I'm calling the police and asking them to, to do a wellness check on you. I'm like, okay, <laughs> and this is what she does. And, and I love her for it. But I couldn't figure this out. And then all of a sudden, one night, I heard myself. It, I woke up, it was about two o'clock in the morning. I heard myself say, God, what is the point of loving somebody if I can't defend them? Now, this has extreme meaning for me. I was like, whoa, where'd that come from? But I knew what that was about. And the message I heard was, go into your powerlessness. Be it. And see your power. This, this was, I'm, I'm sort of half awake, half in sleep. But when I went, into the powerlessness I felt, inability to defend those that I love. I don't like seeing pain on those that I love. I've never had that ability to just watch people in pain, especially a woman. So as I did that, there was a profound relaxation and then a surrender, and then I could breathe again, and I actually slept that night. So there, this theme of wanting something, creating a sense of powerlessness is what I'm going to talk about now, if you two are okay with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, let's dive into this because I'm going to talk about hate. And now I ask you to bear with me, those of you who are on the call. I've already warned Sherry and Ali, this is what I'm going to do because this is what I feel called to talk about. And it is around us. All around us, there is so much hate in the world, and I feel like it's being provoked. It's, it's long dead or simmering hatreds being borne out, and there's a reason for it, it seems to me. And I'm asking you to consider what I'm saying, to put it through your own analysis, and to decide for yourself what is true. And I'm going to give two examples of hate from my own life so that I can somewhat explain to you where I'm coming from. The preface to this is I was born in England at a time where England was going through profound changes. 
It had just opened its doors to immigrants. It had lost a chunk of its empire. The British Empire included many dominions around the world. And then the change was coming through all these people from the foreign countries, the former colonies coming and becoming part of their society. This started to change the English society. There was always racism. There was always a, a level of resentment, but it really started to blow up when I was about 10 years old. So there's two incidents I want to bring to mind. The first one was when I was attacked by four or so skinheads. The neo-Nazi movement really started to build in the early 80s as a backlash to the immigrants, to the back, as a backlash to the actual change that was taking place. Human beings do not like change, as we all well know. So what happened was, in this particular attack, I was jumped by these guys fighting back the best that I could, but one of them had a ring and that ring had a little bit of a point that hit my thing, my eye. So the ring hit my eye, and at that point, everything became numb. I couldn't really feel anything anymore, but there was a sense I had of their presence as they were attacking me. There was a sense of their frustration and how this attack was not personal. It was a very strange, surreal experience. And at the same time, I, I really didn't understand it at the time. Luckily for me, there were no weapons. They didn't stab me, or, and I was saved by a woman shouting from a window who threatened to call the police, and I recovered. And so that was a, a really interesting experience. The second thing was about five years later, and this was the story about the defense, unable to defend somebody you love. I was in a car park. It was an open car park with a, a lady that I was dating at the time. And she looked beautiful that day. I'll never forget it. She had beautiful blonde hair and blue eyes. And we were saying goodbye. We were at the back of the car park. And what happened was these guys were in a vehicle. They were in an open Jeep of some kind. And they started shouting. They were shouting abuse at her and then the uh, racial abuse at me. I encouraged my girlfriend to get in the car and leave. I had my own car parked in a separate area of the car park. And she did. She, she said, you're going, right? I said, yeah. But I had no intention of leaving that day because that day was a tipping point. And so when I saw that she'd left, I walked to my car and in the trunk of my car, I had a, an iron pipe. And I took the pipe out because my level of tolerance had gone. I was just consumed by hate. This was intolerable to me that they would do this in broad late daylight with somebody that I loved present. I could be, endure the, the racial abuse, but they had threatened somebody I'd loved. So I took the pipe out. I was shaking with anger. And I went to the front, and I, I, they were coming down a particular aisle to see me. And they were probably going to attack. I don't know, but I didn't care. They actually took a look at me once I took the pipe out and decided this was probably not a good idea. I don't know. I'm making that up. 
and they reversed their vehicle and went back somewhere else. It took me ages to get over that. And I actually like that memory. It feels very empowering, right? It feels strong. But the truth is I acted out of powerlessness. The truth is, as I assessed the skinheads who had attacked me, they were acting out of powerlessness. And this is what I'm seeing in so many different areas now. People are getting aggressive because they feel powerless. They feel helpless. They can't change. People won't accept them for who they are. They won't accept their points of view, and then they lash out. And that's what I'm trying to explain to you now. And it's, again, something for you to contemplate if you so desire, because it's all around us and it's not going to disappear anytime soon. What I'm also asking everybody to actually consider is what's underneath the powerlessness. Because what we all fundamentally want is to be seen, to be heard, to be understood, and to be safe. And those aspects of us are fundamental. They're from birth. They're very childlike. Now, what happens when we don't feel those things is we create, we feel a level of powerlessness. And from that, we start to act out. Hate is one way in which we act out. But there are other ways. There's ways in which we try and create a level of false power. That could be anything from, I'm going to get, I'm going to have more money than anybody else. I'm going to be more beautiful than anybody else. I'm going to have a beautiful house to show other people the level of power, how much they need to see me, how much they need to respect me. This fundamental need is what is at the base for me and my assessment of what's going on. And there's a dark side to that, that inner child requirement. That dark side is when you don't get that, you act out. When you want everybody to understand you, everybody to see you, everybody to love you, but when you don't get it, what do you do? And this is a very important aspect for us all to consider because it's being mirrored by everybody around you, everybody from politicians to the wars that are taking place to the actual fundamental discussions that are taking place these days, they're all to do with each individual and that inner child wounding and the requirement to be seen, heard, understood. And this is why the hate for me is coming up to such a degree because it's looking to be healed. It's looking to go into the light and it's looking to really feel understood by all of us and to transcend, not to ignore, not to keep buried, but to actually bring us up and raise our awareness then. And from there, we transcend. We become something greater than the, the rote rules that we've created in our head. So this is where the practices, the spiritual practices of peace, of connection, of surrender, and of forgiveness becomes so powerful because all the while what we're trying to do is not necessarily run away from what we're experiencing. 
we're actually looking to bring a, a higher, a different level of awareness to the things that have actually happened to us that are causing the level of pain that we're each experiencing. And this is, again, something to consider. The main part of these practices that I've seen, though, that I myself have done and I've seen other people do it, is we ignore the resistance to something like forgiveness, the resistance to something like being peaceful or the resistance to surrender. And we have to consider those. If, if, for example, if you want to find forgiveness in your heart for an ex-wife or an ex-husband, ex-partner, what's stopping you? It's very important to consider. And as, you look, as we look deeper at a question like that, what we find is another level of wounding. And then we're able to let go. So for myself, for example, uh, when I wanted to forgive my ex-wife, it was really more about... I needed to, I wouldn't forgive her to a level because she'd broken up the family. She had asked for a divorce and I was separated from my daughter. From the forgiveness, though, I could let the whole story go. And then I could be okay with what is. I can love what is. And this is where fundamentally we're going. We're always trying to fight reality. We're always trying to say, I want it this way. I demand what I demand, and it's going to be this way or better. The truth is we have no control over what's going on, and we definitely have no control over others. The spiritual beings that we are, they are too. And everybody is progressing in their own creations that are in their minds. And so it's really important to be able to let go to allow what is to actually unfold. Intention is a great thing. Intention, to me, is the same thing as prayer. They're all asks of what, can we, what would we like to experience. But by letting go, we go into peace. By surrendering, by forgiving, we go into peace. In that state, the conscious mind is then able to relax. And what happens is we become aware of our right brain, the more the intuitional side of who we are, the larger aspect, how we fit into the fabric of nature, how we are one with the rest of the world, all of it becomes apparent when the logical mind is kind of put away. Because I would ask you, and I know I've talked a bit and probably I've lost a bet that I had, the, the main <laughs> thing to basically say is, from childhood, I ask you to really consider this. From childhood, from actual con uh, being a baby, conception even, you've been bombarded by beliefs. You have to be this way. You have to be that way. Rules, concepts from parents initially, from religion, from society, from your culture. You form these rules and then you, there's the nuances of how do you interact with different people. Each of you needs to be congratulated for what you've able to achieve, the magnitude of learning you had to actually go through to be able to be this person that you are and function in society. But what we've done is we've been filled with beliefs we've created identities for ourselves 
and we've become lost in them. And so the logical mind is always trying to filter reality through these beliefs and concepts and identities to try and make a meaning of reality. And we have ignored, for the most part, our intuitional side, the actual fundamental connection to all that is. And so we have no idea of the power that we actually are. We have no idea because our power has been focused into making sure those beliefs stay in place. And so by these practices of meditation, of relaxing, we're able to actually be, and we're able to let go of our own creations of our mind in our anxiety, in our frustrations, and wanting things to be a certain way. And we're able to be one with the creation, which is the unfoldment of nature and the path of natural progression, God, alignment, etc., that's what I had to say, ladies. Amen. <laughs> That's an awesome, huge piece, Raj. Thank you. Wow. Well, thank you. And I, I really wanted to follow up with that, with your impressions of how do you handle powerlessness in your day-to-day? And I'd like to ask that first to Shari, if you would. Mm. Can I just add like a little, a couple things that came to me when you were speaking and, and again, it kind of goes back to we don't want to keep reacting and acting from our old programming. And so sometimes we just can't do it ourselves. We need to reach out and, and we need to function with new programming, right, instead of the old programming that we have inhaled or taken on from our parents. So... I know to go really deep with this, the process is a huge avenue. This nine-week workshop was incredible because it helps us go even deeper into confront because we've got to feel it to heal it, the pain. We have to be willing to feel the pain and feel the stuff in order to shift it and heal it. So you've mentioned some beautiful things, Raj. I know I, for one, could never do all that on my own. I have needed a support team and I've needed the skill sets of others, the gifts of others to help me on these pieces. So that was really a great share. Thank you so much. So now I'll go into (laughs) how do I handle powerlessness? Oh boy. So for me, powerlessness looks like helplessness. And that is Mm -hmm. a huge piece that I took on from my childhood. So I'm just going to share a little briefly here as our time is rolling along that when I felt real, real huge helplessness in my life was when I was nine. It was at the start of fourth grade. It was a situation that happened at school. There was a substitute teacher and something was said and I commented on it. So The comment that I made, a couple kids in the class started calling me that name. And what happened was it kind of, it propelled because they shared it with some other kids and then there ended up being like maybe 10 kids. And when when I would be called this name, like walking down the hall, it made me feel helpless, worthless, not good enough, humiliated, all those things feelings that a young child would have 
I remember in the hallway, like I'd lean against the wall. I would hope that no one saw me. I would turn my head towards the wall. And I was really good at leaving my body. So that's when I became, you know, that stick figure at Good Earth. So I was out of my body. I try to become invisible, you know. I wanted to be invisible yeah. so that so that they didn't see me and I didn't see them. So after a few weeks, anyway, I shared that this teasing was happening because it was on a daily basis, and it and I just kind of went numb. I I was did feel sad and depressed with it and everything. So I took it to my mom one day and. And I explained to her what was happening after school. And she said, oh, Sherry, just ignore them. So what this did was it deepened my feeling of helplessness. And this teasing and bullying continued for three years. So I went through this for about three years. Mm-hmm. And I learned to feel safe by burying my feelings and pretending to be okay. And I'm so grateful that through therapy and the process, This has been unearthed, and I've been able to work on layers of this. And as an adult, I've been learning for the last two years to feel more deeply. This is how I'm handling my helplessness, by allowing myself to feel it at at a deeper level, the the pain, the terror, and the unpleasantness of it, right, which feels like crap, but I have to feel it so that I can shift it and heal it. And and I'm learning to pause and call upon Holy Spirit and my guides to help me, learning some tools. It's not easy, right? And and Dana, one thing that he said, when I'm in this pain is, God, hold me now. And that is very helpful. So again, it's a process. It's not overnight. And it's one step at a time. And I'm also learning to be gentle and tender with myself in this process, because it's a lifetime and beyond. So thanks for your question, Raj. Oh, that's beautiful, Sherry. And I want to ask you a, another question, if you don't mind, putting you on the spot a little bit. Sure. But what do you think those bullies were getting out of bullying you for those three years? I, what I see is that those bullies felt not really great about themselves. So yeah. they were getting anger. They were releasing anger, frustration, possibly sadness, their own pain from their own experiences. That's what I see. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Sherry. Yeah, it's, it's so beautiful to be talking with you and with Ali, getting your perspectives, which are so different to mine. And, and I hope everybody's feeling the kind of, different experiences we're having, and yet they're not that disparate. So, Ali, can I ask you the same question? How do you handle powerlessness in your day-to-day? Yes, absolutely. And I just want to say I'm so grateful to be on this call with both of you and just the insights. Like, I'm sitting here taking notes as you're both talking. I'm like, yes, that's amazing, How much, just how much truth there is. But for me, it's interesting when, Raj, when you posed this question when, before when we were kind of getting our group together, I was like, I don't know how I would answer that. And then, of course, God is like, well, here, we're going <laughs> to hand it right to you. And I recently had a session. I also work with a REIT. 
And I went in and she was like, and I was like, something's happening with my shoulder. And when I like tapped into it, I was like, oh, it feels like I'm carrying like the weight of the world in there. And Mm -hmm. she was telling, she was like, no, it's something really about like your birth. And I didn't know, I was like, well, I was early, right? So when I came in, I was a month early. I was four pounds, four ounces, very traumatic birth, emergency C-section. So when you talk about like the stories or beliefs we have about ourselves, I feel like that's like when that started of like, I'm this helpless, powerless, like little tiny baby who's four pounds, four ounces. But over my entire life, that's also what's been like really said to me or like just in my family system, like telling me that something's wrong with me. I got criticized for being sensitive and dramatic. And like ever since a young age, I was just so like aware of my surroundings and the awareness and just everything. And I didn't know what to do with that because when you have all of that at such a young age, it's like, okay, I have all this info, but it's like trying to put together like fitting the you know the circle into the square and it just doesn't make any sense and so then you feel even more helpless or powerless and like what sherry said that's kind of what i associate it with too so and i can easily for me like the dark is the norm like for me so it's easier for me to stay there and that's the problem because that's not who I am. That's And it's so funny because it's been reflected back to me so many times. Like people at FSD or CLM wouldn't even know that I have tremendous anxiety and depression and everything because I just come in and I radiate and I'm smiling and I, and I love connecting with everybody. And that's my true essence. So I'm definitely getting more of that and, and associating with that more than my stories and all the baggage that's come with everything. And that's not making that wrong either or making me wrong. But it wasn't recently, like, brought to my attention, but through my session with Arit, was like, you, like, that's not you. You breathe that in and, like, you are the light. And so anyway, to go back to your question, what I've started to do and what she guided me to do was, you know, when I'm in that (laughs) dark place and I get so frustrated because in my head, this is my stubbornness. I'm like, I'm going to have to do this every minute. Like, I I don't want to do that every minute. But you know what? I'm changing the way that I do it. So if that's, I'm like, well, I could either stay in the crap or I could bring in the light, which is what she guided me to do as well as Christy. And it's just, it's bringing in, asking God, like calling on Holy, Holy Spirit, fill me with your love and light and bringing the colors in that I saw for me and fill me up because then it's not from my mind. It's from this, like, this that space that we all experience at CLM that's so beyond what we can rationalize and whatever, and especially for us very strong thinkers like myself, mm-hmm. and to just tap into that. Because for me, like with what you're saying, Raj, like with the news, and I mean, it's everywhere. It's driving. It's like all of these places where you're like, okay, what do I do? I'm stuck. And then you bring that in because God is sovereign over all of it and tapping into that because then that's where the true power is and it's hard to even explain, but you just like there's a deeper inner knowing that, you know, we're only here on this planet for such a short time, but in the lessons and the learning, and I love what you said, Raj, about like 
man, we are all warriors. Like, I mean, everybody, and like what you said about everybody's learning at their own pace, and just to be able to tap into that and have compassion, think of how different our world would be. Like, it's not me going, like, you need to do it this way, because we all have our own karmic stuff and everything. So it's really just incredible and powerful to be able to actually now, you know, make that choice and tap into that. And like I said, there's the piece around, like, well, I'm going to have to do it all the time. I'm like, yeah, that I'm going to have to do it all the time because I'm choosing the light. So thank you for asking that question. And thank you for being the light for me also. And same with you, Sherry. So thank you. Oh, you're, you're so amazing. I love what you just said. And there is beauty in the dark. I want to reiterate that to everybody. We, we avoid the dark. We don't want to experience it, but it can be a launching point into something much greater. And I, yeah. I invite people to investigate that as a statement for themselves. Yeah. Can I add just one it's thing? It's important for the healing. We have to feel those pieces to heal. Yeah, mm-hmm. truly. Well, we do. well, Raj, like what you said about going into your powerlessness, like the vulnerability of that, going into those places, like why I won't forgive. It's like, and then you're like, oh, and then it's just these little pieces that can expand and grow. But it's like that one little bud. And then that'll, so it's really amazing. The power that we each have, that's what we're, what the topic is. Yes, we get lost in the story and the, the flows of the world. But the inherent power that we have is obvious. There's a movie that I encourage everybody to watch. It's called The Last Dalai Lama, and it's on Amazon. In that movie, they interview the chant master for the Dalai Lama, who was captured by the Chinese people, by the Chinese Liberation Army, and was tortured for 20 years. They wanted him to basically turn against the Dalai Lama. He he said he was in danger. And the Dalai Lama was speaking and asked him, you know, danger of what? And he said, I was in danger of losing compassion for the Chinese torturers. Mm-hmm. Now, when I first heard that, I thought, this is impossible. People are torturing you and you have compassion for them. But this is the power we inherently have, and we have the teachers around us to be able to demonstrate this to us. It's where we can go. Anyway, over to you, Sherry. Thank you. I think, yes, okay. We are nearing the end of our program, and I don't know about the rest of you, but I am full from everything that's been shared. There's a lot to process. A lot for each one of us. So I hope that all of you have really been open to taking the pieces that are aligned for you at this time to work on. Because as long as we're in this human experience, we each have pieces to work on. You know, Ron Roth used to say, as soon as you think you're arrived, As soon as you think you've arrived, watch out. (laughs) Because we've never, we'll never arrive. I mean, we're we're arrived in this moment, but there's always something else. So we are going to conclude this awesome time of sharing with prayer. And the prayer will be from each one of us. 
And we're going to begin with Raj. Okay. I'm in so much gratitude for this time for all of us together. And Mother, Father, God, thank you for everything you've given us. Thank you for opening us to exploring new avenues of life, to expanding our consciousness to see those avenues of light in a different way, to derive different meanings, meanings that set us free, meanings that bring peace to our heart, our mind, our body. May we know you in a deeper way. May we remember that you are always with us. May we always remember that you are us and that you experience everything. Amen. Amen. And Allie. Yes, thank you. Father, God, Abba, Divine Mother, guides and angels, I pray to you for everyone on this call and those who will listen later to expand their hearts, truly feel your presence and power and support, to transform all the hurt that is buried that only you know and hold with such tenderness and care. We pray for our neighbors, friends, and the world Let us remember we are connected. Each heart that is healed is a catalyst for a new world with more of you in it. Thank you, God, for absolutely everything. Thank you for my anxiety and depression to get me closer to you. You are for me and everyone on this call. We love you so deeply now and into eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Ali and Raj. Divine Presence, what an amazing gathering this evening. Thank you for bringing us together. One heart, one mind, one soul, united and divine. Thank you for the sharings of Ali and Raj. Thank you for each person listening, for your willingness to tune in, your willingness to look at yourself, to look at your life, to see that we all have an area that could really use some grace, some change, transformation, whatever it is. Give us the courage. Help us tap into the courage within. Strength. To look at whatever it is that's coming up for us. Because as we heal, it's a ripple effect for the world. The healing begins with us. And it isn't easy, but we have our community. We have so many helpers, many spirit coaches, many choices for people to contact. So if you're going through a dark night, know that you are not alone. Know that this too shall pass. 
and there's light in the dark. So for each one of you, we bless you with your life, with your process. We bless your health, your emotions, your body. We bless every aspect of you, of your divine sacredness. And we thank you, God, for everything. Amen. Thank you all. Bless you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Raj and Ali. Thank you, all our helpers, our assistants. Thank you, Sherry and Raj. Love you both. Love Love you all. Thank you.